You know what's really funny too is that everybody thinks that you're the you're the original voice of the flyer. Um, <laughs> Jesus, what the hell's wrong? You're with doing it again. I know. That's because you went to Philadelphia. I know. I know. Yeah, when he had one sip. I haven't had any, and I'm confused. <laughs> okay. You want me to start? Go ahead. The Lightning Audio Network presents Martini Mondays with Phil Esposito and Bobby the Chief Taylor. Have a seat, grab a cocktail, and enjoy the show. Here's Espo and Chief. Have you noticed the difference in the game as you progressed over the broadcast? Because how many years did you broadcast? 20, 30, 40? Well, 35 in the NHL with uh, 24 here and 11 in Hartford, and then seven years in Rochester in the American League before that, so 42 years. And, yeah, I mean, it's... How'd you get into it? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up, Phil, because you helped me. I you did. didn't know that, but... <laughs> I went to Kent State University, grew up in Dayton, Ohio, and went to Kent State, and I followed an older student from my high school, Alder High School, who was interested in broadcasting, and he was a big hockey guy, Mike Forens. Oh, you remember yeah, Mike? I know Mike. Yeah. yeah. He was with um, Washington for years. Washington and, and the Dallas Stars and the Whalers. Yeah. But Mike was a stick boy for the Dayton Gems. He was playing hockey. The only rink at that time that you could play in Dayton was like 20 miles north of downtown. We all live south of town, but Mike got caught up in that. Anyway, he got me kind of into broadcasting a little bit in high school. And so he went on to Kent State, and I followed him because it just looked like there were going to be opportunities there. And by that time, I was hooked on hockey with following you guys. And then you guys, you know, yeah. and, and how the Flyers rose so quickly. So I go to Kent State. Uh, they have a club hockey team. The varsity teams had to, you know, students who wanted to be play-by-play announcers got to take turns, basketball, football, and stuff like that. Our hockey club, baby, we were working for the club. We did all the broadcasting. So you got... All these reps. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. So anyway, I go through that, long story short, and he helped me put a tape together when I was going to be graduating. And my senior year was the first year that the Oakland Seals had moved to Cleveland. They were the Cleveland Barons for yeah. two years. And they trained at Kent State University, which you know was about half an hour or so from the Richfield Coliseum. So I got to know the PR guys there, and they said, anytime you want to come up and tape, we'll give you a press pass. So I'd go up there, tape, practice, and so forth, but I also would go to the locker room and get interviews. You're coming in with the Rangers. So I struck up a conversation with you about your schedule. I think it was right about this time, mid-February or something, dog days of the season. Dog days is right. And you were on some horrendous trip, and... Um, so we were talking about your schedule and so forth, and I think you'd the team had avoided injuries for the most part, and you came up with a, the key line, says, you gotta be lucky in this business. Anybody who says you don't have to be lucky in this business is full of it. <laughs> and that was the last line I used on my, my demo tape to get a job. <laughs> I got well, Phil right. Esposito on my tape. And I got him saying this, and you know, I got a couple of interviews. Rochester hired me, and, and uh, when 
on from there. So, Phil, thank you very much. Did you ever play hockey? Like, did you? Nope. No, I couldn't organized? even skate. I'd learned how to skate when I was in college. Really? Yeah, because I was a basketball guy. Our, our school was a basketball school. They had a football team that was okay at that time, but uh, they were really known for basketball. That's and, so cool. Yeah, and just I just started watching the CBS game of the week. The first game I saw was you guys playing the Leafs, and Derek got in a fight with Tim Horton, and Bobby scored a couple of goals. I'm like, wow, this is great. So I just was locked <laughs> Did in. Did you ever watch the TV and sort of do play-by-play -play by yourself when you were – Eventually, I think I did a little bit, and uh, but at the time, it was just I was trying to learn the game and just try to absorb anything I could read, any magazine, which you know they really didn't have a lot of hockey magazines on the racks in Dayton, Ohio. So, did you, Chief? Did you ever watch the games on TV and say Pat was over there? No. There? Well, you know how I got into broadcasting was when I got traded to Pittsburgh. Ren Blair was the general manager. Oh, the bird. The, yeah, the and the milkman. Yeah. He was a milkman before he became a <laughs> general manager in the office. That's a natural progression. Yeah, right away. Yeah, he probably was a milkman when it was a horse-drawn cart, too, instead of a, car, <laughs> a truck. But anyway, we had just, uh, I'd gotten traded with Eddie Van Imp, uh, former teammates of him and I in Chicago, and he went to... They called me in, he says, we're going to sign you, and then the next day he called me in. There was no agents then. I'm not going to sign you. You got to have to come to the team and, ma and make it. And then the next day he's going to sign me. And this went on for four times. Finally, the fourth time when he said, "Do you have to come to the team and make it?" I said, "Mr. Blair, let me tell you something. I started out in that slap shot league, Easton League. Worked my way up to win two Stanley Cups. I'm not working my way back down. So you could stick the team where the sun doesn't shine. Walked out and go. Now what are you going to do, Indian? You dumbass. <laughs> you know, I did have a marketing degree. But then I went back to Philly, and that's when they were starting up that prism. Oh, yeah. Philadelphia Regional In Home Sports and Movie. And Clarkie said to me, he says, why don't we go in and see, talk to Ed Snyder or Mr. Snyder and see what, you know, maybe you can do something there. And Lou Scheinfeld was running the, the uh, marketing for, or, or running that uh, cable network. And um, he said, oh, my God, we'd love to have you there because it gave them a name. The tie. Yeah. The tie-in was perfect. Perfect, because it was a name for the, for the, um, Philly, you know, because of the yeah. Broad Street Bullies were the kings of the street then. And I I did everything, though. It was great. I did 25 games of the Flyers. I did uh, wrestling every Saturday night. I did boxing every Friday night. I did, uh, they found out I was from Calgary, which is a, you know, cow town, so they, I had to do a, a rodeo town. And yeah. <laughs> Chief will know what's going yeah. on. The only thing I didn't do, <laughs> I did gymnastics. Olga Corbett and all that. And you didn't know crap about I, I didn't know beans about it. That's like me, my first, I, there was just, when I got Madison yeah. Square Garden, yeah. they sent me down to Tampa <laughs> to do a, a soccer game. Now, I know nothing about soccer, okay? <laughs> That's all I know is about offside. It's a ball, got to go past, just like in Rocky. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so, as I'm sitting there, and I, I wish I could remember who. I remember I came down with Jack Crumpy, who was running the garden then. Yeah. And I can't remember who was doing the broadcast for soccer, but I was the color guy. Was it Marv? Was it Albert? No. Was it wasn't. Sam? Was it? No, it wasn't Sam either, because I did with Sam yeah. and uh, Jimmy Gordon first with the Rangers. Yeah. Boy, what you're talking about a union man. 
That was Jimmy Gordon. I turned the light switch on. He says, you can't do that. That's an electrician's job. I said, Jimmy, I just turned the light on. He says, turn it off or you're going to get in trouble. And I did wow. get in trouble later on by turning it on. And they were going to shut the thing down. Sonny Werbrun called me and said, Phil, you cannot turn that light. You've got to apologize to the electrician or they're not going to turn the lights on and we won't have a game. I said, are you kidding for me turning the switch on in the press box, the light? Wow. He says, yeah. I said, okay. I went to the guy and apologized to him. And then I went like this with the lights. I says, I'm sorry. Up and down, up and down, up and down, as fast as I could go. And the guy got a little pissed, but because I apologized, it was okay. But I shouldn't have done that because it could have shut everything down and I would have been on the middle of, I would have been on Broadway, on the street. And that, that happened to me in L.A. Same thing? Well, you know how they had the backlight on you when you're in the studio to yep. do the internet. There was a backlight. And Rick, I'm telling you, this light was just like Phil said. It was right there. I turned it on. Oh, all of a sudden you think I, you know, I came in there and raped and pillaged the whole city. The guy come running in and yelling and screaming at me. What are you doing? Turn on this light. I go, I don't know. I mean, you were way over there. I thought I'd just help you out. He's going like this. We're going to shut you down and don't you ever do this. And I'm going, finally I went like this. <laughs> Give him the finger. Well, I gave him the street corner salute. <laughs> and he goes, what? And then, oh, then the... Pete Silverman was our, oh, Pete Silverman. was our producer. He came out to you. Oh my God! You ever Chief, meet him? You, you got to do that. I did meet him once. Yeah, you got to. You got to. He was a beaut. He was a beaut. He is he still alive? I wonder. Peter, I thought he. Well, he was did a, still did a lot of stuff with the with uh, Madison really? Square Garden for a long time. Yeah, I'm sure he did because he was really a company man. Boy, didn't care about the employees as much as he cared about the company. And I'm not. Uh, sometimes I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Sometimes it's, you care about the company, but you better care about a little bit about the human too. I, yeah. I mean, I just that was my f philosophy anyway. But Peter, no way. I can't tell you how many arguments we had. <laughs> oh, I don't even know how I. Mike McCarthy went on to uh, St. Louis and became, you know, yeah. With JD, they went yep. over there because of checkets. Went over there, Dave and, uh, and uh, Mike is, I think, still working and still oh, really? producing all the TV down wow. in St. Louis and everything else. But that was a great team that they had together there. That was in New York with uh, Checkets and yeah, I thought it was too. But things don't happen, you know. Different yeah. people buy it, and when Paramount owned it, funny thing, I just watched. A series on Netflix and I tell you folks you should watch it it's called the offer o-f-f-e-r it's about the making of the Godfather oh really and oh. it's the producer who did it who won the Academy Award for it and this producer was also the guy that started Hogan's Heroes oh wow and that's where he made enough money and he just gave it up to go to try to make the movie Godfather and the, what the perils went through. And Charles Bludorn was then the head of Gulf and Western, which owned Paramount, which Paramount owned the Garden. Yeah. And the Rangers and the Knickerbockers. So it was, and I got to meet Charles Bludorn about 10, 15 times. 
And I remember one time saying to me, Oh, Jesus, man, we're paying you a goddamn awful lot of money for the crap that you're doing. And I'm looking at him <laughs> like, what? Who's this dude, you know? Uh, and, and when you watch this series, mm-hmm. you'll understand what I'm talking about because nobody wanted Al Pacino. Really? Nobody but Coppola. Really? And he stuck by his guns. He was awesome in those movies. He, yeah. he was, but it was Coppola that insisted, 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 and stuck by his guns to get Pacino in there. Huh. Yeah, I wonder because who they, they would have preferred instead of him. You know, I, I don't know. They out. were talking about other guys. I can't remember the guys who were talking yeah. about it. Because I'm going to go back and watch this series again because yeah. you miss things, you know what I mean? And I have a little special interest because I did test for the part of Carlo. Really? Who was married to Talia Shear. Yeah. The, the and Tony Coniglio tested for the part of Sonny, which James Caan got. Remember wow. Tony C? Yeah, yeah, from the Red Sox. And I remember them. they offered me $5,000 for seven weeks of work, and it was in the middle of hockey season. <laughs> oh, jeez. And this is when I was at the top of my game, yeah. you know? Yeah. Or pretty close to it. And... Um, I said, I can't, and I was making 400 then. <laughs> I'm gonna do that for five grand. I'm gonna, what are you, crazy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and when I think about it, and years later, my wife and I were in New York, we were at this little bar, I think it was on 56th Street, 57th Street. We were down in the bar, and this guy comes up, and it's the guy that played Carlo or in that movie, his name is Gianna Rossi. Yeah. And he had on a, a dark gray, or a gray suit with pinstripes. My wife remembered him perfectly. With a pink shirt and a nice tie. He was dressed top. Yeah. And he taps me on his shirt. He said, you Phil Esposito? I said, yeah. He said, I took your part in The Godfather. And I looked at him, and that was the same guy. He wasn't very big. I mean, none, none of, of these are. guys were big in this movie. None yeah, of them. No. None of them. And I don't think I could have played the bar. The, 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 the guy that slapped You'd have to be standing in a hole all the time. Well, like it yeah, I mean, it would have been Ross tough. <laughs> but it was a, such an interesting thing when I watched this. And I don't know how I got off on that, but it was really fun <laughs> to see. Imagine that, we got off on the Celtics. Yeah, it was interesting to us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thank you. Yeah. It, was, it was fun. But, okay, Chief. When you and Rick, you remember the very first game you did? I remember when you first got hired. It was in Philly, and uh, Larry Hirsch. Oh, very good. Come flying up there, and uh, we were playing the Flyers at the time. And he come flying up there, and Rick's standing beside me, and Larry's coming up, Chief, Chief, oh, you know what? They're hiring this Peckham guy to do TV. You got to put a word in for me. I'd be really good on TV. I'm worth 10 victories a year. Because of my way I broadcast. And then he's going on and on. And Rick's dead here. Larry, I'd like you to meet Rick Peckham. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick, and he, Rick caught the humor of the whole situation, too. And it was really funny. Oh, because you should see the look. Cheesy well, he, oh, he, he had to. <laughs> to with TV. He, 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 think about it. You know, how many years he spent in TV? And look at all the goalies he was with. Yeah. Everyone was a and goalie. And I'm still sitting here. <laughs> and you're still here. And you've still got your mind together. More or less. 
<laughs> but but it was funny because Hirsch looks at me, and then he looked at Le, uh, Rick, looked at me, and walked off. Never said a word to him. It was really funny. Oh my lord! So that was the first game in Philadelphia. Yeah, we. But you know what we. We knew one another through cheesy. Wait a minute, wait a minute. How the hell was that the first game? Rick, did I hire during the season? No, no, no. No, you, no he, he just got it. It wasn't the first game that we worked together. Oh, no. That's it was, was, he, was, he got the job then. Yeah. It, also, the beginning of the season, and I remember yeah. the first year I started, Enrico Ciccone got, a, got suspended for like trying to kick somebody or yeah, something like that. But crazy. that was... I was actually, I don't know how I was following the game because I was in Hartford. It was not on TV, so I wasn't there. I mean, I only flew into Tampa for the games that were on TV. So, you know, if it was part of a homestand, right. then I it remember was fine. That. But, yeah. but um, there were some games early in that first season that I, that I didn't do right off the bat when the season began because for one reason or another, they weren't on TV. So, Because um, it was funny because when <laughs> – I might have met you guys in Philly or something. I think you did, yeah. You know. John Kelly obviously was our first guy. First guy, and and when when the when the uh, Colorado was getting a team, John couldn't get out of town fast enough. Oh, he wanted. He came oh, to me, man, right on and says, that. "I want to go to the West. Eventually, I want to end up in St. Louis," which, which he, he did. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, "That's where my dad is. That's where my family is." Oh, his dad passed away, I guess. How long has Dan been gone? God, I want to say uh, maybe he had just passed away. Before I think that. so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. 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 So that's ninety one, ninety around yeah. there. Ninety two. Because yeah, eighties, early nineties. I used to do uh, CTV with Dan Kelly. Remember when CTV came in? Sure. You, Hockey Night in Canada was always CBC. So the, uh, CTV was the other network. We only had one network in Canada. It was the other network, and they wanted to start a Wednesday night hockey. And so they, I would go from Philly and do Wednesday night hockey games because we did basically Thursdays and Sundays at home. Yeah. You know, and I would do games on Wednesday, and I started out as the, as the analyst in the booth for CTV. Then Ron Roosh, who was the, yeah. was a, he had a deal with CTV. Uh, he was the, the uh, Montreal sportscaster for Montreal for their channel, and it was in his contract that if they were to do something like this, he, he had, he had got to it. be in it. So what they did then is they put two play-by-play guys in the booth, Roosh and Dan Kelly. And I went into the studio then, did all studio work. I'll take you, I don't know whether you're, you're probably not old enough, Foster Hewitt. Did you ever hear him broadcast a game? Not live, no. I, I heard him on, you know, like uh, highlight yeah, things like that. Danny Gallivan kind of followed Danny Gallivan. him. And when I was I in like Rochester. I like Danny Gallivan. He yeah. was good. He I've was good. never had the pleasure of meeting him. but um, Foster Hewitt would call me Esposita. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. T- TV ruined Foster Hewitt. Yeah, it did. He was the voice of Canada as far For as hockey was concerned. And then when TV came in, <laughs> they put him on there, and they would say, he would call a game, and you go, What? Yeah. He was what? For he said, what? He They're was. doing what? And we're watching it. You're watching on TV. Said, they didn't do that. <laughs> Why do you think I do radio? <laughs> uh, I mean, you could fabricate a little bit yeah. without giving up uh, the actual thing in the game, you know? Yeah, exactly. 
Oh. But uh, when I was in Rochester, and I was doing mostly radio, and the last couple of years I was there, the team was really good. Won a Calder Cup in 83, which is my second last year, and so we started to do some games on TV. But anyway, the PBS station in town would pick up the Stanley Cup Finals. And so I think even the year that, that you guys played Montreal, uh-huh. we would get the uh, CBC call of it. And I was kind of, you know, okay, what can I learn? What can I do to get out of Rochester and, and move up? And so I would listen to the announcers and try to pick up maybe a term of how yeah. they describe this or that. And you really couldn't do much with Danny Gallivan because it was it was so personal and oh. so unique that you just I he mean, was different. You'd be arrested uh, for robbery so if good. somebody heard you say yeah. oh, he skedaddles up the boards. You yeah. know, I mean that's Danny Gallivan. <laughs> Danny oh, yeah, Gallivan. he's trying to impersonate him. You know, you couldn't <laughs> steal that from him. So, uh, but I do remember listening to his call and that, wow, this is pretty he cool. His phraseology was incredible. Yeah, like, really neat. North Stars would come in there and, and somebody, would, I don't know if Gump was playing then, Worsley, and he makes a save and there's a North Star twinkling at the edge of the crease. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, whoa, <laughs> yeah, that I mean, is crazy. Who's going to steal that? Yeah, There's a North Star which just is, twinkling at the edge of the which crease. Which is what you want to do. Yep, yeah. brought up which in radio, that's exactly... I always thought that years ago when the the uh, telestrator, mm-hmm. yeah. which they do a little bit of, oh, that's but the best teacher ever. I think it. I tried hard oh. when I was in New York broadcasting with not with Jim, with Sam. Mm-hmm. When Sam t- took over for Jim uh, and uh, Gordon, I I went to CBS because they had a telestrator, and I went and I practiced with it and everything else and I came back and I says we got to get one of these you got to put this this is such a great teaching tool when I came down here I tried to get it done couldn't get it done I it I guess the cost was so yeah. expensive we yeah, eventually got it when when Fox did it because yes Robbie Allers was was our, our producer and I'd have, the, and George Demko was my tape guy, Big George. Big George. Big was, redneck from North Florida. Hadn't seen a hockey puck until he started doing it. I know, but he, he got was, good at it, oh, boy. Oh, he was great. But what they did, which was great, they, at the bottom of the screen, they had a time code. You know, so the time would run from the start of the period, you know, and, and would go, you know, 20 down. And I would say, get, and I would say, I'd mark a, a replay that I wanted to see. And I say the time code was 1622. And then we'd have five of them, and then I would go on after and tell George, okay, George, I want number one, number three, and number five. And I said, make sure when you, when you run number three that you just take it back a bit, and you could show the why. Because that's what Eddie Westfall told me when I first started broadcasting. Yeah, he says, Chief, don't tell them what, tell them why. And the telestrator really shows you how, why. Like sometimes you see a guy coming in the break when you see, oh, he missed a net. I say, well, wait a minute. The puck flipped on him. Yeah. yeah. And I say, Georgie, you got to get me a shot of that puck and that stick. On that, you know, and... and yeah. How did he would, miss the net with a wide open... Wide open yeah. net, exactly. And then you see the, the puck, puck would flip, and it yeah. flipped off the top of his blade. So you could see it. It would just be like how you... You know how you 
guys know how you flub a wedge when it's on a real fluffy grass and you Please. go underneath it. Why do you look at me? <laughs> Not you, you're. No. He's looking at me. If I didn't flub lately. it from going underneath it, <laughs> I sculled it from going over. <laughs> but it was the greatest thing ever, those two, the, and a deflection. I mean, I, well, you know how oh, yeah, guys, Rick would say. I got to ask both of you. The way the color guys are on and, and women are on now, do you think they talk too much? Yeah, yeah. I think they try too hard. Too I hard. think in some cases, um, it's a case of, thanks to Tony Romo and the deal he signed a couple of years ago, everybody's making a ton of money, and it's like they have to justify that. Yeah. And sometimes, I called him Tony Rome, didn't I? That was yeah, a movie yeah. I just watched, Tony yeah, Romo yeah, with yeah. Frank Sinatra. I thought maybe Sinatra, I thought Sinatra came back into hockey. I wasn't sure about that. Tony but, Romo, I'm sorry. Um, but but it, it's like, they. I don't know if they feel like they have to justify that or there's so many games on and, you know, I've got to be ahead of these guys, so I'm going to try harder yeah, with this. Yeah, but you're this, a play-by-play guy. You're broadcasting. Yeah. The play-by-play, the play and they're talking. And you you can sense that it could be a very important play right here. It could be a goal. Yeah. And they're still talking. That yeah. aggravates me as a guy that played, a guy that watched, and a guy that did it. It bothered me, and it bothers me to this day. Why? And I've been told by certain people that it's the producers that tell them. You got to talk more. You got to get more involved. You yeah, I can talk see more. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are guys that never skated, never played, and don't have a feel for what's going on in the game. Now, Eddie Olchuk, he has a feel for what's going on in the game, but he talks way too much, and I, I tell that to Eddie right to his face. I don't. I don't tell it now. I've told him that. He says it's part of the deal, Phil. Yeah. So well, when you say that, you know, what are you going to do? When I worked, I mean, I know with you and Gene Hart, uh, with all the years that you guys uh, were the voices of the Flyers and the faces of the Flyers, right, uh, in those great years and some great years in the 80s with all the finals that you went to and everything, but, but it, it was the radio style. Gene was 75%, Chief was 25%. Right. Right? Yeah. Then, as, as I started to go through my career, I felt like it, you know, because of TV, because of the telestrator, because of telling the why, it became more of a 40-60 balance. 40% for the play-by-play guy, 60% for the color guy, with the proviso that, and, and you and Brian were great at this, in terms of, you know, you might cut in while the play's going on, but you knew when to get out. You know, by the time exactly. the play hit the, the opposite blue line, yeah. exactly. Hey, that's mine. Exactly. You know, I'm taking it from there. And I think those lines have gotten a little blurred since. Uh, See, it, Rick, Rick, to me, and, and working with all those guys, and going national too with ESPN and CTV and everything. I always say those goddamn play-by-play guys have such egos. They just kind of want to hear themselves talk, you know. Yeah. I said, but so Rick doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I said Rick never did. It, when we were, I felt when we were broadcasting together, it was a it was a partnership. It was like we we were talking. He would t- explain everything, and I go, and this was that. You know, he he always gave me enough time to do what I had to do, and I 
I and the, and really and, and this is not a night. The biggest thing is that they have to have the score, uh, the call of the goal. That's part of what their stick huge. is. They've got to have that. So if you would go over it and, and they'd score, and it did a couple of times, and I'd feel really bad about it because that's not what I'm supposed to do. I know. That's his job. But, but, when, but when the thing between doing... the two of us was so, it was so easy to play, to work with him, because he would let me do that. Gene Hart, he, the whistle would go, and he'd be talking and talking, and then they're getting ready for a face-off, and then he'd look at me and say, it's your turn, and i go, Right, you are, Gene, back to you. Yeah. I'd be saying that 80% of the time. <laughs> yeah. So you never got good. to teach anything. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, You're right about that. But the it, it, funny thing is, to me, when I became like the Rangers broadcaster, a color guy, I always thought the play-by-play guy is the boss. Yeah. He's got to be. It's the play yeah. of the game. I just said, and they used to say to me, well, you've got to do a little bit more homework, Phil, and... I said, what? I'm not going to tell everybody what color shorts he's wearing. I don't give a <laughs> Why would I care? Why do I care if he's out back at home in the summertime baling hay? I say when he goes home in the summer, he works on a farm. That's all I have to say. I don't have to say he bales hay or he does yeah. this. I interviewed his neighbors on the farm. They said he works very hard. He's very good at slopping the pigs. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know. I mean, exactly. You don't need to do that. Like, I think, who cares? I mean, who cares? It's... The, it's about the game. Yeah. It's about the play-by-play of the game. I, I still believe that. Thank you for listening to Martini Mondays with Phil Esposito and Bobby the Chief Taylor. New episodes drop every Monday in your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to tip your waitress and leave us a five-star review. 